You're listening to The Above the Mug Show, a podcast that highlights people whose passions drive their life. My name is Lucas Spinoza, and I own a coffee shop. Every day I meet dozens of interesting people, and today I sit down with one of them to inspire you to live your life passion forward. What is going on, everybody? It's your friend Lucas Spinoza coming at you from my office inside of the Black Sheep Lounge right here in the heart of Welland, Ontario. You're listening to Above the Mug, a podcast that highlights positive people, and we're here to show you how you can use your uh, passions to live your life passion forward. Today, joined by an incredibly special guest, super excited to have this gentleman on, Sam Bale. He is the founder of Socks for Change and the former founder, well, not the current founder, but the former CEO of West 49, everybody knows that, and every preteen and teen in the world has probably bought a skateboard from there, including myself, many bruised elbows and knees because of you. So thank you for joining us, and uh, I appreciate you being here. How are you doing? I'm doing great, thanks. It's an honor to be here. The cafe is amazing. I'm just so excited. I can't wait to drive back to Wellington from St. Catharines to keep having cappuccino. Well, I appreciate that very much. Um, I, I had alluded to saying I was going to ask you a question first because, as I said, I don't do pre-prepared questions, but I had one. But I'm going to skip over that because you had just mentioned you came from St. Catharines to come here. One of the things I try to do with this podcast is show local people what's possible for themselves in this community. Because if you were to talk to a, a local Wellander, a young Wellander, a majority of the time they'll say, well, I can't, there's no opportunity for me here. I have to go somewhere else. I'm not able to do this here. And I try to use this as an antidote to that and show people, well, hey, here's a guy that's done all of these great things in his life and is continuing uh, can, continuing to do these great things in his life and lives in St. Catharines. So not far away. There's opportunity everywhere. So maybe um, to jump into it, how did you choose to do Socks for Change here? Um, well, Niagara's been really good to me. I mean, I grew up in Niagara Falls, New York, and then I moved over here to join uh, a place called Arley's Sports Shop. I wanted to learn how to be in the ski business. Mm. So I came over and got my start on St. Paul Street in St. Catharines with Arley's Sports Shop. Mm -hmm. And um, finally moved to Niagara from Lewiston, New York. And I just really grew up. My children all went to Notre Dame. We lived in Font Hill. My kids went to St. Alexander's and they went to Notre Dame. And so Niagara was really where my family grew up. Mm -hmm. um, and when I started Socks for Change, it was for the first couple of years, I donated socks. I heard an article on CBC. I'll mm -hmm. just go. Yeah, and, yeah. And this will explain easily why I started it. I, I was driving home. I have a home in Nelson, British Columbia, because that's where my kids live now. And I was flying home and got to the airport, driving home at one in the morning and listening to a rebroadcast CBC article in February, so it'll be three years ago this February, and um, they talked about how shelters need socks, that they have lots of other clothes donated, but they never get enough socks. And when they get socks, well-intended donors give cotton tube socks a lot of times, mm -hmm. like three packs, like basketball cotton tube yep. socks, which if you have holes in your feet and it's slushy and it's cold, they're not, they can't help far. you. Yep. And with my background in retail with Boathouse, I started Boathouse Row, mm -hmm. um, which is a big chain now. And then I started West 49 after that. And uh, we built a lot of our own clothing. And I'm a snowboarder. And um, wool is really the only thing that keeps you warm in your feet. And, and uh, wool with some synthetics mm -hmm. um, mixed in like acrylics to help wick the perspiration off your feet. So when I listened to that article and they talked about how 
people get diseases through their feet from molds and mildews. Um, it really haunted me, and, and I went ahead and found, and I decided I have to find some wool socks to give to this community. So the first year, I just I found a knitter in, in, in Toronto that knits for the Canadian Armed Forces. Mm-hmm. And so he was nice enough to sell me about 1,500 pair of socks, and I donated those to, out of the cold. I really didn't know a lot about the social agencies that could help, and they went through those in about two weeks. And so the following year, I bought about 5,000 pair of socks and gave 1,500 out of the cold again. But then I took the other 2,500 pieces to, I had 24 regional shelters that I could print off the computer. So I took about 100 socks to each of those shelters or, um, you know, some were detox shelters, maternity shelters, teen shelters, the major out of the cold and community mm-hmm. cares and hopes, the Hope Center, the, the Hope Center here in in, um, in Welland, yeah, in Welland, and and Port Cares and and Project Shares in Niagara Falls, and when I did that tour, I realized, wow, like five thousand pair of socks is like nothing. It's and tip of the iceberg, right? Yeah, and I and when I started, and then I started Socks for Change, and I actually thought about my ego was still running from having 140 retail stores yes. and I wanted, I was still thinking chain and still thinking, you know, let's do a national charity. Mm-hmm. Well, when you start doing the research on Niagara and you realize how much poverty there is here and there's, there's two, there's two classes of poverty as far as I'm concerned. One is people at the poverty level and the region says that's about 76,000 people, which is one in six. Yep. That's a big number. And that's at about a $33,000 wage for a family of four. But then there's another huge level of poverty as far as I'm concerned. And that's how many people are between the 33,000 mark and a living wage. And a living wage for a family of four is Mm 75,000. So if there's 76,000 people at 33 grand a year, how many more people are there between there and 75 grand a year there's no statistics on that, but I'm guessing it's half Niagara. Yeah. You know, because the average household income here is 75,000 bucks. So that's what made me say, look, it, I don't need to do a national charity. I need to make sure that Niagara is saturated first. Yeah. If I do something later, we'll see. But right now, I've got a big project trying to get as many socks on cold feet in Niagara. And we also give... We have uh, amazing vendors that help us with uh, toques and ski tubes, neck tubes, and, and face masks and scarves. Um, and so we give that away a lot, too. Like last year, we donated 22,000 pair of wool socks, and we donated 15,000 winter accessories. And, um, and it worked out great in that we got to Niagara Regional Police Cars. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got to EMS ambulances. We got to over 60 charitable organizations throughout Niagara um, and 153 schools, every DSBN school and every Niagara Catholic school, plus a lot of St. Vincent de Paul societies. And so, I mean, that's a lot of spread out for 22,000 socks. So mm-hmm. hopefully we give to the same charities this year, but our goal is 35,000, so 60% increase we hope. Um, and it's, it's pretty easy when you see what Niagara did for me and my family. 
and what Niagara, the generosity in Niagara and the the generosity of time and volunteers when you visit these places, these detox centers and maternity centers and, and homeless shelters, what you see besides people that are in need, you see volunteers who are so dedicated and I almost, they're my inspiration. Absolutely. Um, you know, I want to help the people in need, but I am inspired by the people who give their time. Yeah, I mean, it can be an incredibly discouraging field working in charities because, you know, even though you're good-hearted in nature and, and everyone, for the most part, wants to help you if they had the resources, but, you know, it, it could be difficult having doors shut and, you know, checks aren't being written. Uh, but at the same time, you've got this fire in your heart. You want to be able to to help people. So maybe to jump off that, Sam... How did you get from the point where you had 140 retail stores and you're like, you know, I'm, I'm doing West 49, doing Boathouse, and then you, you obviously, there was a stop to that. And was there a transition or, or did you have some years off to relax and enjoy yourself? Or did you have other initiatives or did you go straight into doing Socks for Change? Well, I had, um, if anybody out there is thinking about retiring, retire. <laughs> like, don't have irons in the fire. I had a lot of irons in the fire. So that... Unfortunately, when I tried to retire, I, I had to take care of those. So my, my energy was split on things. Um, I want to fully retire now and put my energy into socks. But um, no, I didn't have much time off. You know, you just, when you get that, when you get into that theme of having lots of businesses, lots of stores, your, your mind is at a different level not, not a higher level. I'm not saying that at all, but it's just at a different level. It's yeah, at you a can't level just of sit scale. And wait, you know, you know, yeah. And, and, and you asked me a question, which is really, I was excited about hearing the question is how did that happen? And that's the God. I mean, West 49 was 140 stores. We had 2,200 employees. Mm -hmm. 2,000 of them were under the age of 20. We had 2,000 teenage employees. It's amazing. And, that's what got West 49 going. We we actually, I don't think we hired outside of the company until our 22nd store. It was the first time we hired a store manager outside. We grew. We had kids that were skater kids and snowboard kids, and people didn't see them as, as really um, people with potential. Yep. And we were able to take them and turn them into bona fide retailers over the course of the time that we spent at West 49. And our greatest legacy is that when, when Billabong uh, Surfwear bought us, um, that a lot of our people uh, went on to bigger and better things. We have so many kids that managed our retail stores that became Apple store managers or became Microsoft store managers mm -hmm. and became um, heads of security for Target and, and places like that. Like we were really proud of how kids got recruited out of our business and we yes, grew yeah. those kids. But a lot of it was based on philanthropy too. We, we, um, a couple things that I really loved about the business was, um, we did a, a project every Christmas from our Make-A-Wish Foundation, and we wouldn't give away boxes for Christmas. We'd ask for donations, mm -hmm. and we'd, we'd take those donations, and then we'd give them to Make-A-Wish, and it was uh, 50 or 60 grand a year. And um, 
but we also got to chaperone if somebody wanted to meet Tony Hawk or somebody wanted to meet a pro snowboarder, uh, Travis Rice or something, we would be asked a lot of times to chaperone that kid. So then a couple of our employees got to take this kid to California and meet his dream person. And so that was really rewarding for the kids. And they would see that through our website and, and, and inner office things. But we also did a thing for Habitat for Humanity. In March, we did a Habitat fundraise. And we'd raise the same amount, 50 or 60,000 bucks a year for Habitat. So you know my, uh, my friend Mark Carl then. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, very cool. And and um, we would pay our employees to go on habitat builds. We'd pay young kids, 16, 17-year-old kids, to actually go on a build. If they could get on a build, we'd pay them for the day. So they could see that there was something more to life than just being themselves, being a teenager. Right? Absolutely. And bang some nails and and, and uh, see what's going on out there. And our biggest legacy was we had a, a campaign every year called Coats for Kids, and we got that up to about fourteen thousand coats a year that we would we would um, we would take in and gather and then um, donate those to family shelters throughout the country. Amazing, yeah. So fun. on that, you you mentioned coats for kids. So I, I'm seeing a theme here, right, with garments. I know that a lot of the people I, I interview for this uh, this podcast, if it's if it's a cause or something that they're passionate about, I always find that everyone falls into a category. There's a certain type of cause they like to uh, support, and for a variety of different reasons. Is there something in your life that there was a moment where you it, something was triggered and you realized, you know what, people are cold? You know. Well, and- I think being a yeah, actually, it's funny that you asked that. I'm not sure. It didn't happen just walking to school when I was young. Like it was, like I always say, you could have ten down parkas on. If your feet are cold, you're miserable. Yeah. If your ears are cold, you're miserable. It doesn't matter what else you're wearing. It's true. Yeah. Right. And I think there was so many times. You know, my dad would take me to Bill's games, and I'd be underdressed, and my ears would freeze, <laughs> and and I just hated that feeling. Right. So I think that had a lot to do with it. Plus, I think just your familiarity in my business. You know, with clothing and garments and understanding how to make them and understanding quality um and warmth makes it easier like i would i'd be out of my element in a different kind of charity for sure yeah like if i was working for the cancer society or something like i don't know really anything about anatomy or 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 the disease so i mean i know about cold feet and cold ears you got to do what you know, right? It's yeah, it makes it a lot easier. I think it's a it's a, a great thought um, for myself. I'm uh, my thing is empowering people, right? I was very fortunate to have, oh, well, I'm still currently fortunate to have two very uh, supportive uh, and motivated parents. They really gave my brother and I all the tools we needed to be successful in our life, regardless of what your definition of success is. For us, you know, we're very happy. And at a young age, both my brother and I were, you know, we're able to to live a life that we enjoy doing every day. And so I never take that for granted. And now every day at the cafe or on council or here with the podcast, I try to give people tools so that they can move forward in their life because community is very important. If, if you know, all boats rise with high tides, right? That's if your base is solid, everybody's going to be solid. So. I agree. And and you said, you said something where kids don't think there's opportunity here. Correct. Yeah, they are so mistaken. That is mistake number one. There's so much opportunity here. In fact, I think there's more opportunity here than there is in a lot of other places with bigger populations. I see. 
when you get around to all these charities, you see Port Colborne rising, you see Welland rising, you mm-hmm. see Niagara Falls rising, um, and, and you see Niagara actually um, rising as one Niagara. And I really think the power of this entire peninsula um, is is just enormous. And I think kids should look at I think it's easier to start here. It's not as ferocious as going into Toronto and starting with 10 times the competition on whatever mm-hmm. idea you have. Absolutely. Um, I know for sure we need, like you're, you have a great cafe. There's not very many of them in Niagara. So yeah. hats off to you. There's, you. there's still not enough great restaurants and, 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 or, you know, boutique hotels and nice yeah. Airbnbs and, and things that actually people can do yep. in Niagara that that doesn't really cost a lot of money to develop. You're right. Young people, and I personally, I mean, I love mentoring young people. Um, and if anybody ever wants advice, I mean, we built West 49 with nothing. We had no money. Um, thank God we got, uh, we had a loan mm-hmm. from uh, uh, Mr. Ken Fowler and um who is an entrepreneur and a philanthropist and mm-hmm. no longer with us but a wonderful wonderful man and family and they he got us started but we had no money and uh, we had an idea and we stuck with it and it became it it took care of itself and i yeah. think what most young entrepreneurs need more than anything more than even money is determination beautiful and vision yeah and not to spend too much money because when you get in debt and you, you start thinking short-term and you stop thinking long-term vision. And um, long-term vision is what you dreamed up in the first place. So you got to stick with that. You got to be able to stay with that. So bouncing off that, you know, you mentioned you're a snowboarder. When you started West 49, was that the intention? Were you, uh, you were in that crowd, right? The snowboarders and the skaters and, and, and all that. Obviously, there's a community, right? Was that something that was inspiring you to do it? Or was it the, the yeah, actual? Yeah, the funny thing, yeah, it, it, all of that. The, the funny thing about skateboarding, it's cyclical. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I skated when I was 12. And, you know, I'm in my mid-60s now. But I skated when I was 12 on a two-by-four in my sister's roller skates. Um, and then it went crazy and became sidewalk surfing and California was inspiring it. But then it, then it faded off for a few years and then came back again with another generation and then it faded and then came off. And then when I started West 49, how old were you by the way, when you started West 49? Um, probably, um, 50. Oh, okay. But so it was later see, on in life, right? Yeah. But I could see, no, uh, late forties, but I could see my, my nephews in Brooklyn and New Jersey skating. My son became a great skater again. You could see that it was starting to mushroom. And then all of a sudden the X Games started. They were on at two in the morning. Mm. They hadn't gotten to prime time yet. There was a long, and but you could see the momentum. The Tony Hawk video game just came out. Yeah. And you could see kids starting to gravitate towards skating. I think that revolutionized the skating world was that game because even myself is, you know, I, I tried to keep up with my brother, but I remember my introduction to that world was through that video game. Well, it's, well, see, it worked. And, yeah. and, and young people had tried skateboard shops in malls. Um, 
And when I had taken my son around to buy skateboards in certain places all the time, it was, you know, it was guys with black hats, black T-shirts, black jeans, black yeah. shoes <laughs> who didn't like parents at all. Yeah. And they were nasty towards parents, right? Mm-hmm. And I we said, well, you know, let's go where the kids love their parents, do well in school, yeah. um, and... and um, and let's try a new school skaters, right? So we tried it in the malls and we stuck it out and it, it, it worked because the kids were in the malls. And, and you know, God bless all the independent skate shops. We never tried to hurt one ever. Mm-hmm. Uh, love them all. But we tried to, to, to appeal to a different, a different athlete, um, you know, somebody who already was a hockey player or a basketball player. But, you know, we had a mantra that we didn't sell skateboards we sold dreams to 10-year-old kids. Mm-hmm. And that's what we lived on, that mantra. Because kids would get A's on their report cards. They would obey their parents. They'd come in when the streetlights went on. Um, they would do everything to get a skateboard. It was a dream to them. That's right. There was a level of self-policing in the community, right? Like everyone looked out for each other and made sure that, you know, exactly as you said, they got home safe and they were looking out for each other. And, and, and if someone came around and started trouble, there was enough people to deter that. So it never happened, right? I mean, obviously- oh, you had, you know what, if, if people would go look at some old skate videos, like this group of kids were some of the most courageous they, a lot of them were didn't fit in. You know, a lot of them felt that, you know, they were really individuals and they weren't really, you know, they didn't love team sports, um, but they loved the individuality of skating, the creativity of skating. And, you know, I used to tell, um, I used to tell my staff about, you know, they'd watch reality TV and I tell them that was the farthest thing from reality that you could possibly ever watch. Reality is a kid sliding down a five stair, you know, handrail and then falling on his face and breaking his teeth and his dad having to spend five grand for, for, for sure. braces and, and for repairs. I mean, that's reality. And these kids would do it over and over and slam their bodies on pavement and yet get up and do it again. And to me, that's total courage. And it yep. was very inspiring. And they really helped to spearhead the home video movement too, right? Skaters were one of the first people to start bringing camcorders around and you know documenting things with their friends. We hear the term vlogging all the time, but I mean, that was original vlogging, late 80s, early 90s. Well, you're bringing up some great memories because we had incredible, some of the skate videographers and skate photographers some of the greatest photographers and videographers in the world i mean they're following guys on skateboards at 20 miles an hour on a skateboard themselves looking down at their lens not even seeing what's in front of them yeah and um we actually it was amazing we did a lot of television advertising and our entire marketing department were all skaters. We, we ran our own internal marketing. We won tons of awards on our advertising. And we could actually, if I had a problem with a product and I wanted to promote it, I could call one of our skate guys and we would shoot the video on Monday or Tuesday. It'd be at the censorship board on Thursday and that thing could be on television on Friday. Amazing. And it was all skaters, actors, um, skateboarders themselves yeah. and uh, and doing modeling and, and photography. And these were kids that were like 16 to 20 years old. Yeah, and so for anyone who's listening that doesn't know about videography, to have a turnaround like that, 
is nearly impossible. I mean, we're minimum for commercials. You're looking at like two, three months. Yeah, and they would bring their own lighting, and they would do all their own post production in their car if they had to. (laughs) I love that. And it was just like it was so much fun. It was like I never went to work. I had two thousand kids that that worked for me that I called my kids, Mm -hmm. and uh, it was just so much fun. I just looked forward to it every day. And those kids are all winners, every one of them. You know, I mean, some of them I met at skate parks, you know, and they said, well, I'd really like to work for you and say, well, come and work for us, mm-hmm. you know, bring your A game and let's go. Yeah. But, but they worked hard and we forced them to make sure customer service was so important. Taking care of a mom or taking care of a dad that didn't know anything about skateboarding that could come in their house, in their store with a 10 year old kid. And we would assure the parents that we were going to take care of you. Uh, and then we'd look to the kid and go, hey, dude, like, how do you skate, man? What do you like doing? What tricks can you do? And then we would change our language completely and, and evolve ourselves with this 10-year-old and make him, you know, the greatest thing in the world. And, and honest to God, moms and sons would walk out of our store with their arms around each other. It's amazing. You had mentioned something, I don't want to forget it, um, about, you know, dreams, Right. Yeah. And and it's every day you wake up, you love being there. Uh, but you also mentioned about how that 10 year old, their dream is to have this one skateboard. Uh, and th- there's a, a very real example. I'm not sure if it's still on TV because I don't have cable, but I watch it on uh, the clips on YouTube every once in a while. It's Rob Deerdeck. Right. Well, yeah. So this guy's got a literally a skateboard factory like he just hangs out and does cake flips all day and hangs out with his buddies. And you think about it, this guy's made a living. Obviously there was clothing company involved and, uh, uh were DC you guys, shoes. Yeah. Were you, uh, did you work with DC with West? Oh Virginia? yeah. I, I figured I, right? I've been Rob's factory several times. So, you know, and like yeah. that's a 10 year old's dream in an adult man's body. Right. And to see that you, something like this can take you there, I think is amazing. Uh, and I just want to jump back one more time. Now, uh, you had mentioned about, um, you know, what tricks do you do kid, that kind of thing. The skateboard shop feel with the independent shops a lot of time, not not true of all of them, but before West 49 and even in tandem with West 49, it, it was a little bit intimidating for people to go into. You'd mentioned the black clothes and blah, blah, blah. I, uh, it's wintertime, so I'm wearing long sleeves, but you know, I, my entire arms and working on other parts of me now are fully covered with tattoos. And that, when I was eight years old, I asked for for my first tattoo for my parents. Of course, the answer was no. Fast forward almost 10 years later, I got my first one. But I remember the first time I walked into a tattoo shop was the scariest place I've ever walked into in my life because the people behind the counter don't want anything to do with you. It's, it's almost like they're saying, we don't want you to be a customer. You have to prove to us that you're cool first, and then maybe we'll decide you can buy something from us. And I think that's what you guys did so amazingly was show people that, yes, you can do something uh, and enjoy it, and people can be nice to one, an- one another at the same time. It's funny so. that you brought that up. I mean, we had moms that would come in and be scared of guys with lots of piercing and lots of tattoos. And within a few few transactions, they'd fall in love with that young person and come in and ask for them by name. And it was just amazing how um, that all... Breaking stereotypes, right? Through empowerment. It's it's a beautiful thing. Uh, I watched a, a really cool video on YouTube maybe... I want to say less than a year ago, but it was of Tony Hawk. You had mentioned about, you know, making people do tricks. He would drive around California um, 
in a in a car, and if someone could do a kickflip, he'd go around to different skate parks. He's like, "Hey kid, do a kickflip," and of course Tony Hawk asks you to do a, a kickflip, but you're gonna do it right. So they do a kickflip, and then he'd give them like Tony Hawk merch. I thought that was so cool. So. Oh yeah, I mean all those videos in those days were just so much fun, and we'd have video launches and things like that. So it, you know, that all kinds of comes full circle, and, and um, you know, it's. It, Kids don't change, and skating will come back, you know, yeah. and, and uh, it'll come back strong. It'll happen, and it'll happen in the next 10 years. You'll see I think kids it's already back on getting the there because, I mean, uh, with the city of Welland, we just built a really nice skate park um, on, the, on the west end off of Prince Charles and Lincoln on the, right across from the wellness complex on the other side of the canal. And uh, this was done in a true partnership with preteens and teens in our community saying, hey, if you could build a skate park, what, what would it look like? It has everything mine as a half pipe. So, I mean, it's it's a really nice facility. And this is something that was built less than five years ago. So, I mean, you're, you're talking about like this is a brand new facility built. So it's coming. And obviously there's still a demand. It's packed. If, if it's not, even if it is raining, but if it's not raining, people are out there. The kids are out there skating all the time. So I don't know if you ever heard of the hydro ramp. I, I'm history. not super familiar, no. Okay, so the hydro ramp, I'm not even going to say who did it, but back in, I'll say it was 1988, um, somebody came up with the idea over by Brock. There was all kinds of new housing subdivisions going in mm -hmm. and the, just below the escarpment. And somebody came up with the idea for skaters to go to those homes and find the loose lumber that was sitting around at night and hike that into hydro land. And they built a half pipe that was probably at least 12 feet high. Oh my and God. it was a big half pipe. <laughs> and the kids would just go in there and it was there for three or four years. And no one even knew it was there. And That's Hydro cool. finally found it and said, you got to get, you know, well, they took it down, but, but it was there for at least three years and kids would just go there. My son was one of them mm -hmm. and just skate like crazy. And even Fawn Hill, we had a skate park that was just all wood ramps and things like that. And, and That's really cool. Yeah, it was really fun. That's something I want to ask you about because we're already getting close to the end here. It went by so quick. I love, uh, it's been a great conversation is, uh, about your kids. So what did your career and your passion for, um, you know, keeping people warm, you know, with socks for change, coats for kids, how has that influenced them in their life? Have, is that, well, it's funny. My son has a backcountry uh, shop in Nelson, British Columbia, um, called Valhalla Pure. And he, has taken our coats for kids and that's in the West Kootenai mountains. And he runs a campaign every year called coats for coots. And he raises and, and Nelson's small, but he raises over a thousand coats a year for the shelters there. That's one of nine people, isn't it? Cause yeah. you said less than 9,000 people in that community, right? I promote, um, I, I donate personally wool socks into that community, but my grandchildren, two of my grandchildren, liked what I was doing and they did on crayon and paper and their mom photocopied it last year. They went around, they live on a cul-de-sac. There's two cul-de-sacs. They went to every house in the cul-de-sac. They rang a doorbell. Now this is a 10 year old kid and a six year old kid. They presented the paper and it had drawings of parkas and sleeping bags and, um, and toques and things. And they would give that to whoever answered the door and talk about, we're going to collect for Nelson Cares, which is just like the Hope Center. Yeah. And um, 
they said on December 16th, so we don't bother you again, just leave it out front your porch on in a bag. My daughter has a Toyota minivan. She had to load it twice to bring it to Nelson Carers. They had collected so many coats and and um, and toques and things. So anybody can do That's it. Cool. It's not difficult. And, and it's just meaning to do it, right? Yeah, I, I think it's amazing. I'm sure you have uh, an opinion on this too because our society is so focused on material items you know even myself sometimes i get caught up in it because my girlfriend's a big thrifter so you know her and i go all over the place to different secondhand shops and find clothes and cool furniture and things like that uh but before her i i did a very small amount of that and uh so now that we're moving into the cold season you know we got our tote out of the out of storage pulling the, the the sweaters and the coats and stuff out and i starting to hang them on hooks and hangers and i'm thinking I don't think I'm going to wear not even half of what's here. And then you start thinking, okay, well, I got a quick silver jacket and I got, you know, one from Blake's and whatever. And you're thinking I could probably resell this. And then it's like, how much time am I going to spend to make $10 when I could donate this to somebody who really needs it? How much do I need, need that 10 bucks? So sure enough, that's what we did. We got half of everything we had and we pulled out of these totes and just brought them to different organizations. And uh, I, I think it would be important to highlight to people like, if you're if you haven't worn it in a year, you have to give. So that's it away. a great that's a great thing. Like I say to people when they move, if they haven't opened a box in a year, just get rid of it. Yeah, and that's great. I mean, if everybody decluttered their closets and took the stuff they didn't wear for a year and gave it away, God, we'd be in a lot better shape. And you have to remember, I think. Well, for sure, people that don't have homes don't have laundries, mm-hmm. and if you wear something, you know it almost dirt degenerates the fabric and you can't even wear it if you can't wash it if you wear a pair of socks for 10 or 12 days uh, it's pretty shot you know I don't know if you can even wash it back to life but um, you know we forget that people don't have laundries Mm -hmm. and and there's a lot of people that do have homes and do have roofs over their heads that can't afford the electricity and maybe not even have a washer and dryer and I think you know we pass by you know, BMW dealerships and Porsche dealerships and, um, you know, and, and gorgeous SUVs. And, and, and we think Niagara doesn't have a problem, but it has a big problem. Mm-hmm. And if everybody thinks about it, probably half the population isn't at a living wage, that's a struggle, you know, for people. And, and, and we're lucky. We're so fortunate, you know, those of us that can you know, that don't have to struggle all the time. And, and I think that it's, it, it, you got to look around. And, and the further south you get into the peninsula, the worse it is, really. It's true. And so many, there were so many factories here that were never replaced. And you have cultures of poverty. And people get by. People here are resilient. It's amazing what people do in Niagara with as little income as they make. It's true. Um, like I said, there is, to young people, there's so much opportunity. This is a Niagara is gonna explode, uh, and it's good that people are moving here from Toronto, and it's good that people are selling homes and coming down here, and and hopefully they become part of this community, and they don't try to you know try to you know have their Toronto community um, you know own their own self that they actually 
jump into our community and become part of Niagara because there's a lot of stuff happening here. Yeah, I 100% believe that that's true. I think anyone who moves anywhere, they move there for what they offer already. I mean, obviously, anyone who moves anywhere is going to somewhat influence their community, but um, it's only going to be positives because obviously they're moving here because there's something attractive about where they're coming to, right? And they're coming to Niagara because it's a great place to be. So I think it's a great way to to end it off. Maybe uh, I'll give you the opportunity to uh, talk about where people can find out more about Socks for well, Change. thank you. Yeah, we got away from that a little bit because it's so much fun no, to talk to you. No, this is good. I want to talk about everything yeah, about you. Yeah, I love to talk to you. You're yeah. a well-rounded individual. I you love as it. well. I've been enjoying um, this. Listen, we are self-funded. Um, Penn Financial is is a great partner, and Wise Guys Charity have been have nice grant, great grants, mm. but the rest is personal donations, and we have donation boxes in lots of locations. Uh, we're trying to get the website updated in a week. You'd be able to find where all the charity boxes are, and um, also, I mean, personal donations. I mean, this is a simple thing. the 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 suppliers are selling us wool socks at ridiculous prices, like for about two dollars you can donate a pair of socks to the community. So for a $10 donation, five pairs of wool socks get donated into Niagara, and only Niagara, nothing leaves Niagara. So we are at socksforchange.ca, just spell it out, socksforchange.ca, and you can make a donation, and now we're a registered charity, so you will get an immediate tax receipt. So even if you donate $20, you'll get a lot of that back from from our government and uh, they'll help support your donation. But you know, a $50 donation is 25 pair of socks. Yeah. So it's significant, but even in our coin and even our donation boxes, eight quarters buys a pair of socks for somebody. So it's amazing it, to break it down like that. Yeah. To show how a, little you need to do to make it's it a change. simple thing. Mm-hmm. And, and it goes directly onto people's feet. Like I said, if you're, if your feet are cold, you're miserable. Uh, yeah, well, I very much appreciate you coming on. Uh, and also for anyone listening, um, by the time you hear this, we'll, we will have already, I guess, had the, the donation box out for about five days. So at the Black Sheep here in Welland, you'll be able to donate to Socks for Change as well. So make sure you come in. There's a nice display right in the front counter. Um, you know, coffee's two bucks. Throw your other change in the in the box and we'll get a couple pairs of socks out to people in Niagara. Uh, you guys are listening... Oh my God, I can't even speak. You guys are listening to Above the Mug, a podcast that highlights positive people. One of the most positive people I've ever met in my life, Sam Bayo. Amazing conversation. Thank you for joining me. My God, thank you, Lucas, for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thank Thank you. you. See you guys next week. Hey, friend. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Above the Mug. For more episodes, check us out at AboveTheMug.com. Make sure to like, share, subscribe, review, comment, tag your friends. This way you're not the only person listening to this thing. We come up with a brand new podcast every Sunday at noon, so we'll see you next week on Above the Mug.